Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. It says, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces it by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray together. Father, I am uh, just immediately aware of the importance of the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. God, I'm so aware of our need to hear from you today. God, I'm so aware of my need for you to speak through me today. And so God, I pray that you'd prepare our minds. I pray that you'd prepare our hearts. God, I pray that you would speak, that we would receive your word. God, whatever you have planned for today, we say yes and amen. God, your kingdom has invaded this world. You've invaded this world with blessing and salvation. God, I pray that your kingdom would invade our minds and our hearts, that you'd transform us by your grace, by the power of your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, This week I realized something. I realized that there has been an error in my theology and practice of the kingdom of God. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I think about the state of affairs in the world, when I think about the craziness in the world, when I think about all of the things that I can point to and say, that's not of God, my default is to assume that the default mode in the world is the kingdom of God and any evidence of evil is sin and Satan invading God's kingdom. But I actually, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I don't think that's true. Do you ever feel this way though? You ever feel this way that in America, we, Christianity has enjoyed significant prosperity, but now there's people and there's ideologies challenging the values of the kingdom of God. And so it feels like God's kingdom is being invaded. That's my temptation. That's what I'm tempted to believe, but I'm wrong. 
That's not actually what scripture teaches. It is rather God's kingdom that is invading this world. It is the default mode for the world is the kingdom of the enemy. Scripture calls Satan the ruler of this world. And so he is not invading God's kingdom. God's kingdom is invading his. It is the other way around. Now, in the beginning... God's kingdom certainly was the default. It was the factory settings, if you will. God's glory was to fill the earth and he created a people for himself in Eden and he ruled as king over his people in this garden temple. But even then, his people were supposed to invade the world and Edenize the world to make the world more like this garden paradise, to cultivate the wild uh, of of nature and make it fruitful and make it flourishing. But at least since the Tower of Babel, In Genesis chapter 11, it would seem that God has given the world over to rebellious humans to build their own kingdoms. And so since then, that has been the default mode. But God selected Abraham. He chose Abraham for himself to bless Abraham and to invade the world with blessing through Abraham. He told Abraham that you will be a blessing I will bless you that you will be a blessing to all the families of the world. And so even after Babel, after the world had been given over to human rebellion, God begins his invasion strategy. He begins his invasion plan through Abraham. And so we've seen this invasion fulfilled in Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we learned about how he enters the strong man's house and he binds the strong man so that he can plunder the strong man's house. He's been healing the sick and casting out demons. God is the one invading this world. And if you don't believe me yet, listen to Jesus' words. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell are not an offensive weapon. The gates of hell are a defensive barrier that cannot stop God. We just sang in the first set of worship, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Not even the gates of hell can stop God from invading the kingdom of the enemy and setting the captives free. God's kingdom is on the move. God's kingdom is invading the world through Christ, but his methods of warfare are very different than the world's. And so in this passage, Jesus addresses the nature of God's kingdom invasion. Last week, we saw that the kingdom was like a seed, right? It seems insignificant on the outside, but inside, it is full of infinite potential for life and transformation and glory. This is different than what the people of Israel expected. They didn't want the kingdom of God to come like a seed. They wanted the kingdom of God to come like a bomb had they been invented back then. They wanted an explosion. They wanted something fiery and fierce to come into the world and to overthrow Rome. But Jesus says that the kingdom of God, when it comes, it appears hidden. It invades the world in secret, but it will not remain hidden forever. Jesus says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. 
Now, in other parts of Scripture, Jesus uses this, this illustration of the hidden lamp to talk about how the life of a believer, the faith of a believer, the, 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 the evidence of Christ's work in a believer's heart should not be hidden. It should be expressed. It should produce fruit. It should be able to be seen. But here he uses this illustration to show that at this time, while Jesus is walking the earth, his identity as king of the kingdom of God must remain hidden just a little while longer needs to be veiled just a little while longer. Jesus is the light of the world, and he has come into the world not to remain hidden, but for his light to shine in all of the darkness and for his glory to be revealed. But in the meantime, at this point in the story, Jesus remains inconspicuous. The kingdom remains hidden. But just as a lamp is not brought in to be put under a covering, Jesus didn't come to stay in the shadows forever. But that which is hidden is only done so that it may be revealed at the proper time. Think about a birthday present, right? A birthday present is intentionally concealed. It's wrapped in paper to hide what it is and to build suspension. You, uh, uh, suspense. You, you look at the box, right? If you were like me, you'd sneak around, you'd grab it, and you'd shake it, try to figure out what was inside. I'm actually really good at it. My wife to this day will not let me touch anything that she's wrapped because it just ruins it if I guess what it is. But it's intentionally hidden. It's, it's wrapped in order for the gift to be revealed at the proper time. And the gift's hiddenness serves to increase the suspense and serves to increase the anticipation and therefore the joy when it's to be revealed. And so in this, the, the, the one that receives the package, right, receives what's in the package. My kids like to do this thing where they tear the wrapping paper off of a gift and there's like a, it's like in an Amazon box or something that we've recycled. And the kids go, an Amazon box, just what I've always wanted. Thank you. And this is a little joke that we play because they know the real gift is inside the box. But if they receive the box, they receive what's in the box. If they were to look at the box and go, that's messed up. You just gave me a box and they throw it away. They don't open it. They don't get what's inside the box. But if you receive then you receive what's in the box. This is why Jesus says more will be given to the one who receives, right? If at this point in time, as Jesus' identity is this, it's, it's concealed, it's hidden, he's telling them about the truth of the kingdom, but there's this in-between stage they don't quite understand completely. But if the disciples receive the truths of the hidden kingdom, they will receive the power of the manifest kingdom. If you today receive the truths, if you receive the humble Jesus, you will receive the exalted Christ. The measure you use will be measured to you. If you receive Christ as he comes to you today, you will receive Christ as he comes at the end of the age from the heavens with glory and power to consummate the kingdom forever and ever. If you receive today, more will be given to you. The kingdom is hidden within the humble frame of Jesus, but it will burst open to reveal the glory of God. Today, Jesus' identity and the kingdom of God still remains hidden to many people. Jesus' words in this passage, though, should be a comfort to us. Don't be discouraged, don't be misled. 
All will be revealed. The light of Christ will come into the world. It will not remain hidden forever. If you are looking out at the world and you're saying, God, the kingdom is difficult to see. If you have friends that aren't following Jesus and they hear the gospel of the kingdom and they're looking around, they say, I see no evidence for this. The kingdom remains hidden, but it will not remain hidden forever. That light will shine into darkness. And some of the disciples get to see this in their life. Some of the disciples get invited up the mountain with Jesus and he's transformed before their very eyes and the glory of the eternal son of God exudes from his skin and Jesus is transfigured into this bright light. Some of the disciples got to see this in their lifetime that though his identity was hidden, it was no longer. They saw it. They saw the glory of the Christ. And all of the disciples, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and appeared to them in the upper room and Thomas put his finger in the hand and put his hand in his side and he said, my Lord and my God, though Jesus' identity may have been veiled, though it may have been hidden at the resurrection, it was revealed for all to see. And those of us today, we are waiting for the identity of Jesus to be fulfilled, to be revealed, to be shown to all the world. We're waiting for the consummation of the kingdom when Christ returns, when every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is hidden is only done so. It's only hidden for a time, only hidden to be revealed. And when it is, it will be glory. But just because the kingdom is currently hidden, just because it's hidden in the life of Jesus, just because it's not seen completely now, it doesn't mean that the kingdom is not advancing. Just because the kingdom is invading in secret does not mean the kingdom is not advancing. The kingdom of God is advancing. Jesus says the kingdom is like a growing seed. The farmer scatters the seed and the farmer in the parable, he doesn't know how it works. He just thinks the ground produces it on its own. Don't accuse Jesus of not knowing how seeds work. Okay, he says the farmer doesn't know. He doesn't say he doesn't know. This isn't a story about Jesus' PhD in botany. It's a story about the kingdom. And so Jesus is saying this farmer, he scatters seed. He goes to sleep night and day. He doesn't know how it produces a plant, but it does. The ground, as far as the farmer is concerned, is making it happen on its own. Now, this can be a little bit strange, right? We just talked about how the kingdom is hidden, And now Jesus is talking about how the kingdom is seen like a plant, like a plant growing. So what is it, right? Is the kingdom hidden or is it visible, right? This is a little bit strange. We need to understand that these parables are describing using different metaphors to describe different aspects of the kingdom's nature. The first paragraph described the inconspicuous hidden nature of God's kingdom invasion, while this parable describes the persistent advancing of the kingdom according to God's providence. And so this parable, as the plant grows, does not contradict the saying that the kingdom is hidden. It's attempting to explain a different aspect of the kingdom, namely its relentless advance. And so the kingdom of God is like a growing seed. Wherever the seed is planted, it will grow. It will take root. It will grow and produce fruit. The kingdom of God is advancing. It's growing in the world. And this advancing has implications for us. It has implications for us as a group. It has corporate implications, and it has implications for us as individual members of the body of Christ called to receive the truths of the kingdom. Corporately, 
Throughout Mark's gospel, we see the kingdom advancing. We see the kingdom growing through Jesus calling his disciples. The kingdom entered the world in the incarnation of Christ. The kingdom entered the world when when God himself entered the world as the incarnate Christ. And he's going around preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And then he starts calling his disciples. And as his disciples follow him, as they link themselves to him, as they learn from him and become like him, as they follow him and try to embody his teaching, the kingdom is advancing. It's advancing one heart at a time through the community of God's people. But then throughout the book of Acts, we see the kingdom growing even more rapidly. After Jesus' resurrection, there was like the 12 disciples, the apostles, and then about a hundred more. After the resurrection, there was just a little more than a hundred people, most experts believe, that were Christians, that were following Jesus. But after Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people met Jesus. Talk about revival, right? That's like the birth of the church. There's 120, and now there's 3,120. That's growth. That's hard to keep up with. But then, so... Thousands of people get saved, and then still more, Scripture says, were added to their number day by day as the apostles were preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And to this day, the church, the capital C church, has grown into an uncontainable force that has changed the course of history and shaped entire, the entire Western world. These corporately, this advancing of the kingdom means that the kingdom is growing in number. People are meeting Jesus. People are being saved. The family of God, the body of Christ is growing. And so the kingdom is advancing through each individual human heart, giving their allegiance to Jesus. Now, this is different than what the Jewish people had expected. The Jewish people expected the kingdom to come at the end of the age, at the end of time, at the end of the world, that the kingdom would come, defeat God's enemies, and all of God's people would be ransomed into the kingdom together. The Jews believed that the kingdom would come at the end of the age, that it would come with a violent force, right? Because this is the way human kingdoms work. This is the way our earthly kingdoms work. They, they invade, they besiege cities, they storm the palace, they overthrow tyrants, and they set up new governments. It's, it's, this, it's this powerful, immediate, violent attack. And so they believed the Messiah would come in power, overthrow Rome, and then rescue all of the Jews. And Jesus here is correcting their expectations, and he's correcting our expectations. The kingdom has broken into the world, but it grows and advances little by little, heart by heart, community by community. And this is God's work. And so where the seeds are planted, there will be growth. Where the kingdom is, it will advance. But this doesn't mean that every ministry or every church will always grow in number or else it's unhealthy. That's not factoring into the the, the growth of the kingdom, the advance of the kingdom in depth. The kingdom will advance and sometimes it grows in depth and maturity. And so Jesus says that what's visible here is the leaf 
the ear and the full grain in the ear. But underneath the soil, the roots are diving deep and spreading out and absorbing all of the nutrients that they can. And so as a church, as disciples, we can't only be worried about what is visible. We can't only be worried about the growth of the plant that we can see if it means neglecting our roots because weak roots will not produce fruit. Weak roots will not produce a mature plant. And so this means that there are personal implications for the gospel of the kingdom, for the advancing kingdom. This means that we have a responsibility as individuals, not just to see the kingdom advance in our community, but to see the kingdom advance in our own hearts. And so this means if you've believed in the gospel of the kingdom, if the seeds of the kingdom have taken root and, 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 and that plant grows and matures, it means that you will grow and mature. And so this is that process of growth and development as a Christian disciple of Jesus. It's often called sanctification. Sanctification is just a really fancy term that theologians like to use that means growing in holiness. If you have received the kingdom of God, you will grow in holiness. You are on a path to becoming more like Jesus. You are on a trajectory toward holiness. And this process of becoming holy is not something that happens overnight. Just like the farmer scatters the seed and it grows, but it grows over time. He goes to sleep day and night and he wakes up. He doesn't know how it happens. It just happens. It grows. And so we as disciples of Jesus who have received the truths of the kingdom and as they've, they've dug their roots down in our hearts, we will grow. We must grow. The spirit of God in us is making us holy. But it takes a lifetime of following Jesus and we still won't even be complete until the Lord returns or calls us home. And so we're all on this path of discipleship. We are all becoming more mature in Christ. We are all growing. The kingdom is all advancing in us, but we are all works in progress at various stages of development. And so spiritual maturity often looks like physical maturity. We're not horses. We weren't born walking. And so as we become Christians, as we believe the gospel, as Jesus enters our lives, we do not immediately become perfect. We still have these sins and temptations that we struggle with. We still fall down. We still try to obey. We try to live in light of the glory and the the calling of God, but we still struggle. And slowly, as a newborn child grows and develops and learns who they are and learns how to make decisions and they grow and they become more mature and then they step out of the home and they start a family of their own, as disciples also, we grow slowly. We have to learn over time how to make decisions as Christians. This is something that I've experienced with a lot of people at some stage in their Christianity. Most people will come to a point when they'll say, when I first met Jesus, or early on in my Christian walk, things seemed simple. It seemed easy then. It felt like God was taking me by the hand and making it clear what I needed to do. Maybe you had an experience like that. When you first met Jesus, it was very obvious. There was some stuff that just had to go and other things that you now enjoyed adding to your life. And that was, that was clear. It was simple. It was just right in front of you. But then as you've grown in maturity in Christ, you come to seasons in your life where you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. 
It's not clear. It's not black and white. It's not the difference between choosing sin or righteousness. It's muddy. And we think back and we go, man, I don't feel like God's with me. I knew God was with me. He made it clear then what I was supposed to do, but now he's not making it clear. And so in our experience, what we say is, well, I just, I don't sense God's presence anymore. But what God's doing as we are growing in maturity, just like a child, just like parents with a child need to allow children to make decisions based on what they know to be true and right and good, we get to a point in our Christian maturity where God asks us, invites us to make decisions based on what we know to be true, right, and good. And so as we mature physically, it can be this analogy for how we mature spiritually, that we encounter seasons in life of growth and we encounter seasons in life of hardship and we encounter times when life's not easy, when being a Christian is not easy. And it's not like our parents made our food for us every night and cleaned our room for us and changed our diapers and all of that stuff. Now we got to do stuff on our own. And we can experience that as God's distance, but it's God's grace. It's God's power in you. It's God's favor on you to invite you into seasons where you get to choose to follow him, where you get to choose uh, 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 what, 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 what adventure lies before you. He's not distant from you. He is with you in that. And so we experience this spiritual maturity slowly, just like physical maturity. It takes a long time for a believer to become mature. But at the same time, we're aware of this. We know this to be true. We look at our lives and we want to be mature. We want to be complete, but we know that it's a slow process. And yet we still have expectations of ourselves and others that aren't quite fair. Have you ever, when was the last time you looked at something in your own life or looked at something in the life of someone else and just said, failure, like this week? I just told you my theology and practice of the kingdom was wrong. Failure. Adam, you're a failure. We look at these things in our lives and we go, gosh, I'm awful. I'm a failure. You're a failure. Does that that person even know Jesus? Am I even saved? Or we see the evidences of sin in our lives and we begin having this existential crisis on whether or not we're even a Christian. Now, some of you may be new believers, And some of you may not yet be believers. Maybe you don't know where you stand with Jesus. We need to know, all of us, those who have been walking with Jesus for years, decades, we all need to know that Jesus is not waiting for you to be perfect before he starts enjoying you. Did you know that? Jesus isn't waiting for you to be perfect before he starts enjoying you. He's like a parent. He's like a a loving parent parent who just dotes on his children before they can do anything. And as you take your first steps of faith, you're going to fall down. And you know what? Jesus isn't mad at you for it. Jesus isn't mad at you falling down. Imagine a parent chastising their child, learning to walk because they fell down on their butt. No parent would do that. God doesn't do that with you. God doesn't do that with you. He picks you back up. He delights in you. He takes pictures of you and posts it to Instagram showing everyone how cute you are. That I don't believe. I I don't think there's any social media in heaven. There better not be. Oh my goodness. 
He's not waiting for you to be perfect before he delights in you. He delights in you. He loves you. He wants those things to to be uh, removed from your life. He wants to take those things away. I have a a seven-month-old French bulldog puppy named Zeke. Zeke eats everything. Zeke puts his, everything in his mouth. And, and, and there, I mean, there's stuff that could just be laying around the house that's not cool for a dog. The other day, I realized um, he had gotten into the trash in our bathroom. Uh, and there was just trash strewn everywhere. And I'm like, ah, Zeke, darn it. You know, and I go and I start picking up the trash. And then I remembered there was a razor blade in that trash. I have this straight edge razor blade with replaceable blades. They are, they are, they are sharp. And we tore this house apart, looking just like just so terrified that he would get a hold of this thing. We found it. Zeke's fine. But he'll get things in his mouth that he he loves, right? That could hurt him. And so as soon as I come try to take it away from him, he like he runs from me. You ever notice like something in your life that you're like, I don't know about this. And God comes to you and he's like, hey, let's talk about this. And you're like, no. And you start running around the house trying to get away from God. That's like what my dog does. Our sin is like chocolate to a dog. It's got to be delicious, but it'll mess him up. It's not going to be a good day for him if he eats some chocolate. Our sin, it feels so good. But God knows it's going to mess us up. And so he comes to us to, 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 to help us, to rescue us, to save us from it. We need to learn that, that when we see sin in our lives, you can't use that as an escape or as, a, as an excuse to run from God anymore. The, the sin in your life is not a reason to run from him. He's coming to you in grace and compassion, not as a harsh ruler to crush you under his thumb. He's coming to you as a loving parent, knowing that that thing you're running around with in your mouth is not okay. He just wants to take it away so that you'll live. So that you'll live and experience joy and freedom and love in him. God's kingdom has not come to crush us under a harsh rule, but to save us from a harsh rule. He has invaded this kingdom of darkness to bring you from it and into light. But that means as the kingdom invades our lives and invades our world, as it grows and advances, it will be met by opposition. See, as the gospel advances in the world, as the kingdom advances in the world, we believe this lie that our lives will get easier. I believe this lie that if I am more holy, then my life will get easier. But I think the apostle Paul contradicts that. Because if you look at the apostle Paul's life, his uh, uh, self-identity becomes more and more aware of his sin. He begins as the least of the apostles when talking about himself in his writings. And at the end of his life, he calls himself the chiefest of sinners, right? As we become more holy, yes, there will be sin rooted out of our lives, but you know what? It's just going to mean those little tiny sins that we justified loom all the larger in our vision, It's like a black spot on a black shirt is hidden, but a black spot on a white shirt is more visible. As you grow in holiness, don't be discouraged by recognizing that there's more sin there than you thought. 
That's actually evidence of God's grace opening your eyes to, the, to the, the, this call to maturity that he has you on. As you grow in maturity, you're aware more of the sin. That's not to be discouraging. That's, again, to get you to run to him so that he can take it from you. Don't run from him. Stop running from him. He loves you and he wants to help you. Sometimes we think that as the gospel increases as a a people, as the church grows, as the kingdom in the world grows, then Christians are going to have an easier time in this world. That is a lie. As the kingdom advances, as the kingdom invades the kingdom of darkness, you think darkness is just going to stand by and let it happen? No, there will be opposition. As Jesus' ministry increased and as his influence increased, as his identity became more clear, opposition didn't go away. It escalated. It ramped up and it led to his crucifixion. As the kingdom grows toward maturity in us and in the world, we know that the world will fight back. The world is going to fight back. The world does not want you to be mature in Christ. The world does not want you to be satisfied in Christ. The world does not want you to be secure in your salvation in Jesus. The world does not want you to reflect Jesus. The world does not want the church to love this world as God loves the world. The church or the world does not want the church laying its life down for people. The, the world does not want you living like Jesus. And if the church is advancing, if the kingdom is advancing, if the gospel is advancing, the uh, the kingdom of darkness is not going to sit idly by. We will experience opposition. Jesus said that a servant is not greater than his master. If the world hated him, they will hate us too. And they hate us because the presence of the kingdom in us is an invasion into the kingdom of darkness. And so this increasing opposition is no reason to be discouraged is no reason to be dismayed. Nothing can stop God from advancing his kingdom because the kingdom of God is inevitable. As I've been planning this, I've just just been thinking about the Marvel movies, End of Days, Thanos, right? I am inevitable. Maybe you haven't seen it, sorry. The kingdom of God is inevitable. God is inevitable. Nothing can stop him. This last parable that Jesus tells depicts the kingdom as a mustard seed. He says it's the smallest of the seeds in the world, but this tiny seed will eventually grow into something large that that birds can make their homes in. Now, when I think about birds nesting in trees, I think of the Torrey Pine down the street, because I don't know if you knew this, but there are pterodactyls living in the Torrey Pine. (laughs) There's, There's this idea in the world that birds descended from dinosaurs, and I don't pretend to be smart enough to understand the nuance of theistic evolutionary theory, but after living there for a few months, I'm inclined to believe it. It sounds like Jurassic Park down the street from my house. The, uh, one, of the, one of the first times I went to Lucky Llama after moving here, uh, I was standing in line outside because of COVID, and it, it just started raining. <laughs> and I looked down, and I am covered in white. Like to the point where my thought, it's like, I should go get some napkins. No, I need to go home and change. So I literally just stepped out of line and walked home and I was just so embarrassed. But that Torrey Pine took over a hundred years to grow to that size. It started as something significantly smaller. 
And it became something so massive that like dinosaurs are up there in the trees. And so the kingdom of God, it begins small. It seems hidden, but it is advancing and it is inevitable. Everything that God has desired for his kingdom to accomplish will be accomplished. Like a mustard seed that begins the size of a grain of sand, the kingdom becomes the largest of the garden plants, so to speak. The kingdom may begin small and hidden, but it will grow and inevitably will become everything that God intends for it. And so your life in Christ may feel small to you. It may feel insignificant to you. Your life in Christ may feel like something that should be so much bigger. And all I got to tell you is be patient. It will. I know you want to do great things for God. I know you want to make an impact. I know that it can be frustrating and discouraging to feel like things aren't the way that you had hoped. But if the kingdom of God is in you, it is advancing. It is inevitable. You will be exactly who God wants you to be. And in your walk with Jesus, it may feel like a slow process. And it's like looking at yourself in the mirror every day. You don't notice the change. God knows that it's happening. You are growing. You are becoming holy because it's not your work. The farmer goes to sleep. He rises night and day and the plant grows and we live our lives in Christ. The seed of the kingdom has been planted in our hearts and it's God's power both to, to, to work and to will. Uh, uh, it's God's power working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's kingdom will advance. It will inevitably be complete in our lives. And the world around us may feel insurmountable. The pressures from culture may feel like the kingdom is diminishing rather than advancing. And it's easy to lose hope. But please remember, nothing is hidden that will not be revealed. The kingdom of God is growing and advancing according to God's providence and not our own efforts. And all God wants for you and for his kingdom is inevitable. It will come to pass. And if you feel yourself getting frustrated, like we can often do, we can look at the world and get frustrated. We can look at the world and be dismayed. We can be discouraged, but we need to remember that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. The ultimate expression of the invading kingdom of God is the person and work of Jesus Christ himself. Think of this. If the kingdom is hidden, the kingdom is advancing, and the kingdom is inevitable, we have in Jesus the king of heaven who has hidden himself in human form and invaded our world and advanced the kingdom of God and accomplished everything that God has set out for him to do. That the person and work of Jesus Christ is the perfect example of hidden glory, advancing power, and inevitable kingdom. Jesus himself in the incarnation is the perfect example of this invading kingdom. Nothing can stop him from fulfilling his mission. And the ultimate expression of Jesus' own hidden power is the cross. 
To those who are unaware, who look at the cross, visibly what is seen is the death of an unfortunate man. That's all it is. The cross is foolishness to those who don't see what God is doing in it. But through faith, Jesus is seen as the king of the kingdom. And the crucifixion is his coronation. And the cross is his throne. That's what we believe. We believe literally this this completely upside down situation that, that the death of Jesus on a cross, the humble, shamed, tortured body of Jesus is actually his enthronement. Talk about hiddenness. Talk about advancing the kingdom through, through hidden means, but inevitably accomplishing everything that God desires. What appears as weakness and foolishness to the world is the power of God. It's not through a visible and violent demonstration of power that God's enemies are defeated. Jesus defeats the evil empire by suffering at its hand. He lets Satan do everything that Satan desires to do because the greatest weapon that Satan has is death. And it came against Jesus in full force and it had nothing on him. He rose from the grave. And when the enemy throws everything at you and can't do anything against you, you have won. And Jesus has won. And Jesus is victorious through his death and resurrection. And to those he has called to follow him, we walk in that victory, that same victory over death that Jesus has won, he gives to you. What does the enemy have against you? What can the enemy do to you? As you advance the kingdom of God in this world, as God advances his kingdom in you and through you, what do you have to be afraid of? Death? Ha! Jesus rose from the dead. You don't have anything to worry about. God is the one invading this kingdom. We don't need to hunker down and protect ourselves from the big bad ideologies that are opposed to the Bible. No, we get to go out and proclaim the glories and excellencies of Jesus. We get to go out and proclaim the gospel because the king is now here and darkness must flee and we're following in joy. Jesus made a mockery of the enemy. He made a mockery of the grave. All that has been hidden has come to light. And through faith in him, he lives in us by his spirit. The king of the kingdom invades our lives and our hearts and gives us the same power that Jesus lived in, the power over death. The spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. His plan for you will be accomplished. His plan for us will be accomplished. His plan for the church here in Carpinteria, the coastlands and the nations, his lowercase c churches and capital C church will be accomplished. All of his plans are inevitable. We can be confident that he who's begun a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Now we will experience opposition but we walk in the victory of Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Jesus is building. The kingdom of God is here. Some of you don't see it yet. Some of you see it and are afraid of it. Or at least 
not knowing what to do about it. Jesus says that who has received will be given more. If you receive what you can from Jesus today, then with that you will receive everything that Jesus can accomplish in your life. If you receive the humble Jesus, you will receive the exalted Christ. The kingdom is here. It is inevitable. It is advancing and nothing can stand in its way. It is hidden. But if you have eyes to see it, you see it. And if you have ears to hear it, you hear his voice calling you to follow him. The kingdom of God has invaded the world. It's invaded our hearts and lives. And through faith, this kingdom is in you. It's hidden. It's advancing. But it's inevitable. And God's will for our community and for our church will be accomplished. It will come to pass. Nothing can stand in his way. That sin that you face today that sin that you are reflecting back upon that happened yesterday, that will not stand in God's way. The the, the besetting sin that you continue to struggle with, the fears that you have, the failures that you're afraid of, none of that will stand in his way. Your excuses for why you can't come to him today, why he won't receive you today, why your friends will reject you tomorrow if they knew what you believed, nothing can stand in his way. Do not allow these weak, frail things of the kingdom of darkness to prevent light from shining into your life. Darkness cannot overcome the light. Receive what you can of Jesus today and you will see that he is greater than you have ever been told. He is far greater than even I can tell you, than, 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 than any church will tell you. We do not have the ability to grasp and comprehend the goodness and the beauty of Jesus. Receive what you can and you will find so much more in Christ. And if anyone trusts in Jesus and the kingdom of God belongs to you, And you can give your life to him today. You can give your allegiance to Jesus today. You can give your hopes and dreams and expectations and entitlement. All of that, you can give it over to the king today. And then you will receive life. You will receive love. And you will receive true freedom in Jesus alone. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just declare in this place that you are King of kings and Lord of lords and there is nothing on this world that can stop you from accomplishing your purposes. God, we want to see more evidence of your kingdom in our lives. We want to see more evidence of your kingdom in our people. We want to see more evidence of your kingdom in our church. Lord, grow us in maturity. Grow us in holiness, Lord. Grow your, your, your people to advance the, the, the kingdom into this city, Lord. We are not the ones that build your kingdom. We are not the ones that advance your kingdom, but you are advancing it in us and through us and through all of your people in the world. And so God, we just want to be vessels of your kingdom. Lord, that you would pour into and that you would pour us out into the world, that the whole world may see your glory. The whole world may see you high and lifted up, enthroned in the heavens. God, and I pray also that you would help us to believe, help us to receive and to believe the words of scripture that say that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That it is so inevitable what we will become that you already look at us and see us as complete. 
Lord, though there be sin in our lives, it is as nothing to you because nothing will stand in your way of making us exactly who you desire us to be. I pray that we would just walk in that truth, walk in that grace, walk in that power of the Spirit leading us into holiness. And God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you or knows you but is iffy about following you, God, I pray that you would open their eyes that they would have eyes to see and would see, that you would open their ears, that they would have ears to hear and that they would hear the beauty and the glory of God calling them to follow you and that they would see all of the things in their life that, is, that, they, that they think is more valuable. They would see it just crumbling away. Lord, that they would see all of the shiny things that the world has to offer and just recognize that it is all corrupted and corroded and you have what's truly valuable. God, that they would look at the things in their lives and see all this stuff that they enjoy, that they feel like you're going to take from them, but that they would open their eyes and see that you want to give them something so much more. You want to give them yourself. I pray that they would see you, that they would trust in you, that they would receive you today. God, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives, that your kingdom would root down deep and manifest itself in beautiful fruit. God, we give ourselves to you now and ask that you would lead us and glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name, amen.